0: Uh, second day or second Sunday of a miniature series on our vision statement. I Hate the word vision statement. It makes me want to run and hide in a closet until whoever it is that's talking about vision statements is done talking about vision statements um, I don't know if you share my uh, Feelings there. However, I think sometimes if they're short and they're succinct They're simple and they really do ca- capture the essence of a group they can be really helpful. And that's, that's, all, that's all we're talking about um, for ours. It's very short. It's that we are growing into Christ-likeness for one another and for our neighborhood. We're growing into growing into Christ-likeness for one another and for our neighborhood. Um, so we started this series last week uh, by asking, I asked you the question: why do congregations exist? Now, that's not quite the same question as why does the church exist, but why is the church split up into these little individual congregations um, was the question that we asked. And I think those of you that weren't there, I want to answer that question um, briefly so that you can kind of, we can all be on the same page as we move into this uh, sermon number two. The answer that I gave for that was congregations represent the body slash work of Christ in their location the example i gave was when philip is sent to samaria okay there's this spiritual movement happening in jerusalem right all these people in jerusalem thousands of christians are in jerusalem they're worshiping they're in the temple every day and they're devoting themselves to the teachings of the apostles and philip is the first one he goes to samaria and he goes there and he does not say to them hey come and join this movement in jerusalem Right? He doesn't say, hey, this thing is happening in Jerusalem. I want you to come and be a part of that. Philip plants the same work that's happening in Jerusalem. He plants in Samaria and the Samaritans do it in Samaria. The first, second congregation, right? And that's the start of congregation, so to speak. And so that each place and each letter that write, Paul writes to different congregations they are all charged with this task of continuing the work that Jesus started. And they're tasked with doing that in their particular location. So that's, if you want more details, listen to the sermon on our website. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, our our vision statement, I think, I hope you will kind of... Uh, see that it parallels that answer right it's growing into christ likeness for one another and our neighborhood so that we we have this work that christ is doing in us and it needs to overflow into the people who are in this location and into the location which we're at right into one another into our relationships with one another and into our actual location here this little slice of the world our neighborhood so the first part of that actual vision statement then is what we're talking about today, which is Christ likeness. What does that look like? What does that look like? That is that is one of those charged statements that we all we Christians can say to one another, and we all nod in agreement. Oh yeah, 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 we like that. But then you don't want to ask if you actually agree on the details of what that looks like, right? Um, there's the uh, Jesus like. There's kind of I don't know there are a lot of images of Jesus I'm not going to go into all the images but what does it actually look like is an actually a very important question right what does Christ likeness look like uh, so I want to I want to think about that today and by way of starting with Mount Saint Helens um, Abby and and I and the boys went up there yesterday. Um, we have this, this list of things that we wanted to do before the summer was over. And, uh, one of the things that we didn't get to earlier in the summer was going up to Mount St. Helens. And, uh, we were, we were there and, uh, it reminded me of God's determination when he designed the planet, God's determination to see life flourish on the earth all right. So we go to this one. There's this one trail there. Uh, it's called the uh, uh, Trail of Two Forests and sort of on the it makes this loop. And on the inside of the loop is this place where uh, lava flowed through like 2000 years ago. There was this eruption and this lava flow flowed right through the forest. And then the outside of the loop is kind of forest that was untouched by that. And you would think right, that where this lava tube had, had flowed through that maybe there wouldn't be much growing there. Um, you'd be wrong, <laughs> right? Because you look down and, and the lava, when it dries, it has all these little holes in the lava. So when the lava first comes through, it destroys everything in its path. Then it cools off and it, it has all these little pockets. It's very, very, very porous. So the first thing that starts to grow in a Northwest forest where there's all sorts of porous material is moss, right? It is covered in moss, the moss can't grow very thick like it can in other places, but it can grow, so it's it's really thin. But then, even more amazingly, there are these little pine trees. The pine trees can't get very big growing on top of lava, but in fact, you can get 25 foot tall pine trees growing on this lava rock. And uh, actually, most of the time that I was in uh, Mount St Helens, I couldn't see I couldn't see the mountain. I kind of, we left and I was like, that was an amazing, wonderful day, but I don't really feel like I visited Mount St. Helens because I didn't see it <laughs> but for like five minutes. I think we stopped on one spot in the road where we could see it really well. And, uh, and part of that is, is because the forest is so lush there It is some of the thickest spots of forest that I've been in, um, when in my travels of the Northwest, it is so thick, Right, so that even in destructive um, natural disasters God has designed the earth to produce life out of that the earth because of God's design is determined for life to flourish this is this is a very morbid example but I, I can't not tell it to you I do it probably once a year but when you die right we are all going to do do it. Um, don't raise your hand, but right, no volunteers needed, but we are all going to die. And when we die, God has designed the earth to bring life out of our dead bodies. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm not right there. I'm not there with you. But so that even in like your personal doom, demise, not doom, demise, there will be life. Right. The actual the, the foundation a uh, foundational design of this planet is for life to flourish. It is determined, and uh, Mount St. Helens, I think, is an excellent uh, example of that because it, it is it is the most active volcano in the Cascade Range, and it uh, it erupts and has all kinds of of uh, activity going on. All you know, often. Um, it hasn't. It has erupted technically since 1980. A couple of different times. There have been minor eruptions, and these eruptions that you think of as kind of awful for you would uh, destructive, but in this space, it provides um, a spot for God's design for life to work itself out. Now, I think God is equally determined, equally relentless. And has designed life for another purpose, the spiritual life, is determined for us to be made into Christ-likeness. Right? That the way that God designed us, the way that God designed um, his relationship with us, is that anything, any spot, any circumstance, any relationship, when put in the hands of God, can reap likeness in our life god is relentlessly determined to see us become more like jesus so that when we when we put our trust in jesus for the first time right the, the kind of the goal of that god's goal god's design is uh to to live with us forever right salvation now and for all time beyond time eternal life but from that moment forward, our relationship with him has this really singular purpose, goal, aim to make us more like Jesus. And he is relentlessly focused on that and has designed. He has woven his determination into the design of his relationship with us. That is his ongoing Unending, determined work in our lives. Um, I actually uh, translated this pa- passage uh, uh, last week. Um, I think it was last week. I don't know. Uh, since I've been back from sabbatical, my uh, my sense of time is really off. Um, the uh, <clears throat> but I translated this passage, and I thought I'd share my my translation with you for verse 18. And the only reason I translate. Uh, is because I I have a lot of fun and I learn something in the process of doing it. I don't I don't think I'm a better translator than these scholarly committees um, <laughs> that that put them together. Although sometimes I prefer mine, but you know it's not going to be anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, the now I need to go translate something on humility. Um, the verse 18 though 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. This is the way I translated it. Now we all, having had the veil removed from our faces, okay, so, so Paul's been talking about how the Israelites can't see that Jesus is the promise, that he is the Son of God, that Jesus is Lord. They, they can't see it, and they, they have this veil over their faces when they look at God. There's this separation, and he doesn't really go into very detail of what that is or why that is exactly, except that it's there. There's this veil but now he's talking about people who are in Christ, people who have this relationship with God through Jesus. And he talks about how this veil has been removed from our, from our faces so that we look upon the glory of the Lord as if it was our own reflection. Right? There's this sense that we're looking in the mirror and in the mirror we see the glory of the Lord. Rather than seeing ourselves. And that image in the mirror is his aim for us. Always transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. So that he doesn't, that passage doesn't say have been transformed or will be transformed. But it says are being transformed. In other words, it's ongoing. It's something that happens continuously. Always. That the activity of God in your life is Determined to transform you. <laughs> determined to see the life of Christ grow out of whatever porous material he can find in your soul. I think we often, uh, we don't do, we do, we do our relationship with Christ um, damage when we think that we have to have it all together in order for Christ-likeness to, to grow and take place. Or we think that um, this thing needs to happen or that thing needs to happen or this relationship needs to get better or this needs to be taken away. If you and I put, if we surrender any and all things, any and all things to Christ he. That is his determination. That is his design. That what we put in his hands will be used to transform us. So whatever sin, whatever brokenness, whatever shame, whatever hindrance, whatever it is, when we put it into his hands, he will use it for that purpose. I think my my like, I used to call this my life verse when I was in college, um, and I think I could probably still say that, but. That feels somehow wrong to say now, Um, but it's Romans 8, 28, and I don't know if I have it memorized anymore. Um, For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, right? Now, my Calvinist friends read that to mean that God uh, has chosen everything for me to do in life, right? And they may be right, but I read that as saying that things are going to happen to me and that if I put them into god 's hands, he will work it for my good bad good indifferent whatever it is if I put it into his hands, this is the determined this is the unalterable will of God that he wants christ likeness for us the unalterable will of God he wants christ likeness for us a lot of times we we, we spent a lot of times trying to figure out what the will of God is in our life. One of the easy questions to kind of narrow down your options is, is it Christ-like or not? How does it measure up against the example of Jesus? It's going to be very, very uh, infrequent that something that is Christ-like that you can do would be outside the will of God. Right? There's, there probably is some opportunity for that to happen but the determined revealed unalterable will of God in your life is for you to be more and more transformed into that image in the mirror of Jesus. So we read we also read from Philippians chapter 2 today which I think gives us a a, a glorious window into what is Christ likeness. Right. If you remember uh, when, when Tim was reading that, Paul is, is telling the Philippians, the, the congregation in Philippi, he's talking to them about how they should treat one another. And the way that they should treat one another is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> right. How many of you actually consider others better than yourselves? Some of us. Some of us do, but that's because um, we're actually suffering from like depression or shame. That's probably not what Paul, that's not what Paul's talking about. It's not what we all need to aim for. But uh, how many, like, if I'm really honest, do I really consider others better than myself? I mean, that is difficult, <laughs> right? That is really a difficult task. He talks about, um... This kind of self-sacrifice, looking to someone else's interest rather than your own. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So Paul is beginning to sketch this picture of what Christlikeness looks like. And then he finally says, uh, let the same mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you the whole the mind of Christ be your mind right it 's just a, another metaphor for that image in the mirror of God transforming us into that image of Christ that we would be more like him and then it talks about uh, then it goes into kind of the the song right there's this kind of like hymn about who Jesus was and his death and his his descent from heaven his giving up of his uh, um, uh, his equality with God, his, he gave that up so that he could be human and become like us and, um, and die for us. And that then, then God would lift him up and that all of creation would confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. That part we don't have to attain. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, <laughs> the whole like anyway I'm not gonna explain the joke if you have to explain it what's the point um what is but well, okay but what is Christ likeness and I, I was thinking as I was thinking about Philippians 2 and and knowing that that I was gonna kind of throw that at you today I was reflecting on how those first five verses sound to me like the Sermon on the Mount a little bit all right so Matthews chapter 5 through 8 and then it's it's in Luke it's kind of dispersed between several chapters, kind of in the middle of the book. And uh, <clears throat> what, you, what you find is all sorts of instruction like this, right? Instruction like, um, okay, so Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn to them to your left also. Or if a Roman soldier asks you to go one mile, I say go another mile, which people would have hated to hear that because uh, the Romans had – that. there was this law where the Romans could ask anybody, any Jew, to carry their stuff for a mile. They weren't allowed to ask you to carry it any further than a mile, but uh, they, they had that right, to, and, and Jesus comes along and says, "Yay! Hey, you know what? Let's make it two That's government overreach, Jesus. Um, (laughs) So uh, the uh, (laughs) Jesus says all all sorts of things that kind of in that in that kind of um, sermon that is really this full summary of the teachings of Christ in a lot of ways. You you find a lot of that paralleled in this Philippians chapter two. Okay, so so we've got uh, God is determined, um, relentlessly, focusedly uh, determined to see us become more like Christ. That is his activity. That's that is um, one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit in this world. Right. That is the activity of the spirit in our lives. That's what the spirit is out to do. is to reform us, to transform us, that we're we are, uh, clay in the hands of a potter. So we've got that idea that this is revealed, this is uh, sure, we can count on this, that if, if whatever we're facing, if we put that into the hands of God, God will work it out towards making us more like Christ. And then we, we can begin to sketch a vision of what sort of things that would look like, what what is, who is Jesus? Who was Jesus? What can we learn about him? What can we take in his life and, and apply to our life? What sort of principles can we look for? Um, and I think that is a lifelong process of learning. But one of the things that I want to I talk about is um, how do we make that happen? Right? It's, okay, okay, God wants this. Here's what it looks like. Now what do I do? What do what do I how do I participate in that? Um I was we were driving home yesterday from from St. Helens and we're listening to the radio and uh you know Carrie Underwood song came on the on the radio about Jesus take the wheel. And uh and and I said to Abby, okay, let's try this out <laughs> as I was driving. Let's see. uh, uh <clears throat> Uh, if if you take that literally, right? If you get rid of the metaphor, that's a bad idea. Right? Yeah. Jesus is not in the business of driving cars, <laughs> right? Now I'm not saying that there can't be some kind of miracle where Jesus would in, intervene in a person's life and and move the car. I think that's perfectly possible. As Lord of creation, that's his prerogative. But am I getting my car? Maybe I'll just try it. Maybe I'll just say, okay, Jesus, you drive this time. Just see if my car moves. No, that's not a good idea. Um, but uh, there's this sense that we can take too much of an approach that um, that because God is so determined, then, then God's just going to do that, and I don't have to drive my car, my spiritual car. Right? In your spiritual relationship, I think uh, Jesus Jesus gives you the car, Jesus designs the car, Jesus uh, fills the the uh, tires so they have the right air pressure. Jesus is the mechanic of the car, but you still got to get in the car and drive it, All right? In our relationship with God, we we are expected. Uh, To do some things in this process, we can rely on the fact that God is ready and willing to shape us and to mold us after Christ-likeness. We can rely on that, but we have to participate in it. Um, We have to make choices, right? If you don't have to make choices in life, then I want you—if you don't think you need to make choices in life, I want you uh, to—you can leave Revelation— because it's not much about choices. Um, but I think, let's see, from uh, Jude all the way to, uh, let's see, maybe yeah, to Acts, just rip that out, right? There's, if you don't have to make choices, this whole bulk right here is very useless to you, right? Because Paul is all the time, do this. I always hear him in the, like a raspy high voice, do this, please. Right? We have to make choices. You go out into the world, you have these relationships that are really, really hard. Some of them are really broken. Sometimes you have people who are awful to you. You have to make a choice in those moments. We have to do work. Um interacting with other believers to learn who who is Jesus what is it that I'm really aiming for right we have to have these relationships with one another where where what's going on here on a Sunday morning and on Wednesday nights and in small groups and whatever other time we interact with each other we have to do work together what does it look like to be Christ-like And most importantly, we have to cooperate with God's determination. We have to partner with him in our own reformation, in our own change. We have to be willing. We have to have this kind of attitude before God. Say, I want what you want. And if I don't want what you want, I want to want what you want. So help me do that. Fill me with a desire to want what you want. As as Jesus puts it, this this story of uh, <clears throat> that that Maggie read from Luke chapter six. There are these two guys, right? And uh, one he he the prospect of having to build his home on rock is just too much. So he just plops his home on the ground wherever he finds a flat spot, and there it is. The other guy um, knows that he needs some bedrock. And so I imagine he got something probably similar to a pickaxe. It was probably really, really heavy back in those days. There's no excavators around. And went to work. Digging and digging and digging and digging until he gets to bedrock he gets to that rock to build his home on and there he builds it <clears throat> and what does he build it with? He builds it with jesus's sermon right in in matthew and luke the this story comes at the end of Jesus's Sermon on the mount now when we when we take jesus's instructions and we put them into practice it's like Digging deeply for a firm foundation and when I say this to you The older I get the more I realize how incredible a foundation we're talking about All right when I'm when I was in college uh, the kind of firm foundation I needed was Was to get me through my girlfriend breaking up with me. That was hard It seems like the end of the world at that point in time And I look back and I want to chuckle at myself um, because now my foundation is getting me through parenting, (laughs) you know, somebody else's life. Now the foundation is getting me through watching loved ones suffer, pass away. Now my foundation is what I must rely upon when uh, I'm faced with some pastoral difficulty. Whether you're there and, and your deepest pain um, is, is not very deep or your deepest pain feels like a pitch black cave, this foundation is good enough. This teaching of Christ is good. It's worthwhile. Um, you know, in, in Israel, uh, <clears throat> it doesn't rain very much. Right? So when Jesus is telling this story about needing to build your house on the rock versus, versus the sand, there are probably people who have built their homes on sand. Because digging down to bedrock is not an easy thing to do. It really, truly is profoundly difficult. And you could also pretty well expect that it wasn't going to uh, rain very often. But when it does rain... When it does rain there, um, it's a flash flood, right? Because every little dry creek bed is not, it is so hard and so dry, it doesn't soak water up as it runs down it. It's like pouring water through a pipe. The water all cascades together, and when it comes and it hits, it's disastrous. And the rain, the storm, it comes for both of them. And in the end, it is Christ-likeness that saves the man who dug, the man who made choices, the man who did the work, the man who cooperated with God's calling in his life. I think it's it's easy to feel guilty now, right? Like, I've just laid that on you, and, and it's easy to feel like, oh, man, I don't, I don't make those choices. Oh, man, I don't, I don't want to dig down a bedrock in my life, Well, oh, that sounds really hard and really awful, and I don't know if I'm up to that task, or or I'm just not really good at those things. I, I can't learn. I don't learn well. I don't interact with people well. I Whatever list that's roaming through your head. Um, When Jesus was looking for people to make Christ-like, he didn't look for people who didn't have lists of reasons they couldn't do things. Right? Every, every person who became a wonderful disciple and follower of Jesus had that list. Peter had the list. He didn't know he had a list. <laughs> right? He should have known he had a list. He had all sorts of flaws that he wasn't aware of quite yet. But then there are people like uh, the, dem- the demoniac. A guy filled with a legion of demons. Jesus looks him in the eye and makes him his follower. Tells him, go back to your home and tell everybody what I did for you. Sends him off. He doesn't even train him. He just says, go home, do this. That would have been a guy with a pretty big long list of why he should not be a candidate. So take the guilt that's roaming around in your heart. Um, and crunch it up like a piece of paper and throw it away. That's not probably totally true, but put it in God's hands if that's what's going through your mind. We, you, can be in the hands of Christ made from one degree of Christ's glory to another degree. Every day, every week, every month, every year, every sorrow, every piece of brokenness, every hurt, every sin. One degree of glory to the next. Every time we put our life in his hands, every time we make a choice in his direction, every time we do work for him, every time we cooperate with his spirit's activity in our life one degree so survey your life don't look at anything as bad or good or good soil or bad soil at least today look at everything as an opportunity that in the hands of christ it can be used to make you more like him let us do that as a church let us look around See every little piece of who we are and what we're doing and what we're dreaming of as an opportunity for Christ to do his work here, for his ministry to continue at this location through us. To make us more like him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you so much that you are always at this work, that you are so faithful that we can count on you to be there in times of struggle and in times of celebration, to use our life as an opportunity to mold us, to shape us. I want nothing more for our church than for us to be more like you. From one degree to the next, God, push the needle forward for us we're here we want you to make a difference through us and in us we want to be transformed so god take take what we have to offer and bring bring your likeness here and may it benefit one another may it benefit our neighborhood, may it benefit your world, because we know that each of those things are so in need of more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.